Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the last week. My name is Richard Thomas. I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week, we have Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters, our title for pharmacy support staff. Welcome all. Uh, it's been a very busy news week, so let's get started straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. So, Rob, who's had a good week for you? Hi there, Richard. Hi, uh, listeners. Uh, so I'm going to go uh, for a good week this week to Community Pharmacy Scotland. Uh, they've got a bit of an advantage because they've got some elections coming up, but they've published their 2021 General Election Manifesto. And uh, you might have seen it in the press. We've covered it a bit. Uh, what I like about it is it's not a huge wish list. It's not got 20 things in uh, and therefore appears to be both improbable and undoable. But it's a discrete set of asks of the next uh, Scottish government, uh, some of which are extensions of existing things. So there's uh, no surprise to see them wanting to build on the uh, pharmacist first, pharmacy first service the Pharmacy First Plus service, uh, with an extension of independent prescribers in community pharmacy, uh, and also an extension of the current sexual health services in Scotland. So there's some, if you like, range extensions there. But there's also a particular ask, which will be no surprise, I think, to uh, pharmacists in other parts of the UK, with a making a case for vaccinations in community pharmacy. And then the one that I particularly like is a development uh, issue, really, a, a, a call to be integrated into the next uh, the next stage sort of e-health developments and to really put community pharmacy alongside other providers as part of the joining up of the system with the appropriate technology. And I know that CPS want the kind of access that uh, general practitioners have got to various other parts of the system. And I guess if you if you're going to be encouraging patients and the public to see pharmacies as a first port of call for a, an extent, extended range of services, then being properly connected up to be able to refer, to be able to record, to be able to review, to provide feedback, I think is, is vitally important. So well done CPS. We've said it before on the pod uh, quite a number of times, but I think the, the manifesto is both ambitious, but also doable. And uh, there is a mini version and there's a long version if you want to read all nine pages. But well done, CPS. Yes, yes. Good week, CPS. It is very targeted, isn't it? Uh, I think you said when we discussed it earlier, Rob, it's not overburdened with too many asks. I quite like the fact it's very targeted and focused. Um, and yes, interesting about the the e-health agenda, isn't it? P- possibly that's an area where Scotland has lagged behind um, some of the, the other country, other home nations. Um but obviously, if you're going to integrate into into the NHS and local NHS in Scotland, then the, the IT's got to be right. And so, yeah, it will be interesting to look at what they have to say or what the government comes up with, actually, and the new government in Scotland about digital monitoring and intervention tools and, and, and other things that CPS is asking for. So, yeah, good week for CPS. Thanks, Rob. Helena, what about you? 
Uh, yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, my good week is for Paula Woodgate. Uh, she's a good friend of TM, having won the overall Spotlight Award at our ROE Awards in 2019. Um, and she's involved in setting up a COVID vaccination centre for Knight's Oakwood Pharmacy near Leeds. It's one of three Knight's pharmacies that are approved to offer COVID vaccinations so far. Um, so Paula is an accuracy checking technician and she was trained under the national protocol to prepare and administer COVID vaccinations. Um, she's an incredible member of the pharmacy team and has achieved so much over the years, got many strings to her bow. Um, but the COVID vaccination centre involvement is a particularly noteworthy achievement um, because it's the first time she's been able to be involved in this kind of clinical service as an ACT um, and she's really embraced it, but also she's absolutely terrified of needles. So um, there's an extra challenge there. Um, so, yeah, she's been trained. She's been vaccinating for quite a few weeks now, um, since the last week of January, I think it was. Um, they're vaccinating Wednesday to Saturday and averaging about a thousand vaccinations uh, per week at this particular pharmacy. Um, and they're making a real difference to the vaccination efforts in their community. Uh, she commented that so many of their patients are unbelievably grateful and happy that they don't have to navigate a mass vaccination centre to get their jabs. They just pop down to their local pharmacy. Um, and I know this is just one example, and it's so good to see members of the wider pharmacy team utilising their skills and playing their part in this. Um, and I think with pharmacy technicians in particular, it's the first time that they've been able to be a part of something like this. There's been so much talk for so long about pharmacy technicians potentially being involved in the flu vaccination service, but that's never come to anything other than a few pilots here and there. Um, and I had a long chat with Paula last week about her thoughts on this. Um, and her comment was that she hopes that the COVID vaccinations sets a precedent for the future. She hopes that pharmacy technicians can be more involved in things like flu vaccinations going forwards with proper PGDs in place that, that include them. Um, pharmacy technicians clearly have the ability. Uh, obviously, not all pharmacy technicians and not all will want to be involved either. But a good proportion do have the skills and the desire to get involved. And I completely agree with Paula that it'd be such a shame to waste that. That's such a great story, Helena. Well done, Paula. Um, and afraid of needles as well. But that actually is uh, that's that's quite inspiring. Actually, I, I I agree with you. Absolutely no problem with pharmacy technicians leading the way with this. Why not? I and mean, let's get you know all the pharmacy teams involved. Um, and it's uh, that's a really uplifting story. Um, as I say, well done, well done to Paula. Thanks, Helena. Um, Neil, what about you? Who's had a, a good week for you? Afternoon, Richard. Yeah, um, I've gone to Rena Barai, who we all know very well, of, of course, and Harpreet Chana, who's the founder of the Mental Wealth Academy. And Comal George, who I'm told is a pharmacy career change coach. I've had the pleasure of meeting Comal. Uh, uh, um, and the three of them are hosting an event, I believe, on, on the 8th of March as part of NHS International Women's Day celebrations. Um, and they're going to be hosting a, an event, I think, within that um, a wider event about how black and ethnic minority female pharmacists can rise up the ladder in the NHS. Um, Rena put it quite nicely on her Twitter feed, uh, um, you know, to find, develop uh, and practice everyday courage to re to release the, their inner leader 
Um, and it's obviously all part of this wider equality agenda. And of course, we, we, none of us, I'm sure, I'm sure doubt that there are plenty of black and minority ethnic women, black and minority ethnic pharmacists, period, but certainly women doing some fantastic work uh, in the NHS, and particularly in pharmacy. We need to hear more about the, the great work that they do. And yes, we, we, we anything that can, um, you know, give those, give um, uh, that particular sect part of the uh, uh, pharmacy profession um, greater opportunities to move up. I think we're all, we're all for that. So, um, uh, Rena. Harpreet and, and Kamal, um, for me, um, a good week. And I'm sure we'll uh, be interested to see how that event goes on the 8th. Um, of course, um, Women in Pharmacy generally is an extension to that. Um, the National Association of Women Pharmacists, President Naina Chotai, um, urged pharmacy employers to publish their reports on gender pay gaps as soon as possible. That was something else that caught my eye. And I would support, I'm sure we'll support, support that. Um, not wait until uh, the deadline of October the 5th uh, for that to, to take place, um, we want. Though, we, I think the gist of it basically is that employers need to do this as soon as possible, um, and um, I, another uh, just another part of the equality. So for me, it's it's really Harpreet, Rena, and and Cobble George, and the, uh, the three of them hopefully well, get, getting on with the uh, equality agenda. There, yeah. Yeah, good call, Neil. Uh, very good call. Such an important subject, that. And uh, yeah, good luck with that event. As you say, it takes place on uh, March the 8th, which is this Monday coming. Um, so me now, um, good week for me, uh, Avicenna. Uh, Avicenna more than doubled its estate with the acquisition of the, the Dudley Taylor Group, uh, taking its number of branches from 44 to 101. The larger the pharmacy group, the better the outlook, according to Avicenna Chief Executive Jonathan Power. So the new pharmacies are located across Yorkshire, the Midlands, south of England, and Mark Avicenna's first foray into Wales as well. Um, interesting story, this. It's going somewhat against market trends at the moment, isn't it? But it is a very powerful statement of intent from Avicenna, now owned by Juno Health, of course. The group certainly has ambitious plans. And if that doesn't get us an Avicenna Media Award, I don't know what will. So good week for Avicenna. So, bad week. Now, I'll go first this time. And it's been a bad week for those who fear a privatised NHS. Interesting little story, this, that we covered on Pharmacy Network News, and it concerns the acquisition of AT Medics, a company that runs GP surgeries. Uh, and the acquisition was carried out by US-owned Operos Health. And it's raised concerns in political circles about backdoor privatisation of the NHS. Labour's Shadow Health Secretary John Ashworth has called on Matt Hancock to intervene and stop the sale, no less, which he calls a stealth privatisation with huge implications for patient care. Um, I think it takes the number of surgeries uh, that Opros owns to 69. Uh, so it's become the largest GP surgery network in the UK, apparently. So is this creeping privatisation by the back door? Uh, I don't know, but it's an interesting development. And for those who have concerns about possible privatisation of the NHS, I'd say alarm bells might be ringing. So bad week for them. Uh, Rob, did you want to come in on this? Um, only Yeah, only so far as to say that I think um, it's the sort of story that maybe community pharmacy representatives need to probably steer a bit clear of. Uh, given the um, given the makeup of some of the some of the sector, 
Uh, but it's the kind of thing that's been bubbling around the background of the NHS, hasn't it? And I can imagine that we're going to hear more about this in the weeks and months to come. I see that the Shadow Health Secretary is kind of on the case. And this is quite a big slug of general practice in one go, isn't it? Um, going over to uh, an American group, uh, obviously with the experience of delivering primary care, very different sort of primary care in the States. Uh, but um, anybody who, who has any kind of suspicions about where any trade deal with the US might go and opening up the NHS market to external parties will be watching this kind of thing very, very closely. I suppose the other thing it shows is that we write a lot and talk a lot about the, the financial challenges within community pharmacy, but you know this is probably a sign that um, running, a gen, running a general practice is also a very complex business and that um, that increasingly general practitioners are choosing a sort of salaried GP roles rather than the, 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 the onerous task of also running a business and being on call um, around the clock and all the things that we used to remember from general practices when we were all growing up. Um, so it's a sign of the times really, but I think one that somebody's going to be looking at. Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Um... Very good point that um, the overseas ownership, uh, I think, of three of the UK's largest pharmacy chains uh, doesn't excite quite as much comment, does it? But um, yeah, fair point. Uh, 69 surgeries out of, I think, six and a half thousand GP practices in the country. So it's significant, but hard to kind of put, um, hard to kind of say how significant that is. But it is a chunk of surgeries nonetheless. Um Neil, what did you think of all this? Well, of course, we, let's remember that only fairly recently, uh, Boris Johnson and his ministers pledged to sort of scrap Andrew Lansley's uh, reforms from 2012. And that was, not, you know, it was, it was at that point that, um, the, well, you know, the, the whole idea of privatising large parts of the NHS and selling it off to American corporates was, 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 was part of Lansley's brainchild. And, and now and it was only fairly recently, I think was it last month, that we were told that that's going to be completely reversed. But I'd, I'd err on the side of caution when it comes to Labour. I know it's all very well Jonathan Ashworth saying he wants to uh, pick Matt, Hancock, Matt uh, Hancock, uh, Hancock up on this and intervene and prevent the sale. And, and was, But I, it was only, was it two decades ago? Was it back in the 90s, starting in the 90s, that Labour were, the, were, were floating the idea of um, privatisation themselves? I mean, you know, you... You know, was it forty percent of the NHS? They, they at that point they were looking to sort of sell off, privatise, or they plan to privatise forty percent of the NHS. So I, I know I know Labour have changed leadership, uh, a, a pretty unrecognisable party from from those days. But um, I think you'd have to be a little bit cautious when listening to um, to Labour on that. I, I did. I can't remember that. Did Tony Tony Blair's government want to privatise nearly half of the NHS? Yeah, well, back in 1997, yeah, he, he promised uh, he promised removing internal markets within the NHS, um, and uh, the fact that the idea, the whole idea that care could be purchased from from authorities and uh, and and, and, int- and introducing that kind of privatisation, yeah, he was, it was as far back as 97, and taken forward by Corbyn as well. There we are, um, Rob. Well, I, I think I think the, the internal market has existed. Uh, for nearly 30 years, hasn't it? And um, buying and selling services, and that that's a fundamental part of the system as it is now. I mean, it's hugely bureau- bureaucratic. Um, but maybe, Richard, you want to see if you can get uh, see if you can get Tony Blair on the pod, ask him directly. You might as well aim high. 
he's got nothing else to do these days, has he? No, and he's all over the media at the moment, isn't he? So, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'd be up for uh, up for an interview with Mr. Blair. Um, I'll, I'll, and I've got to, I've got to just add. I'm oh, sorry, Richard. I've got to add. It just made me laugh that they asked that that um, Jonathan Ashworth and Ashworth asked Matt Hancock to intervene in this matter when when Matt Hancock is the one individual that's been. So, you know, c- contracting out uh, to private companies PPE and without publishing the details. So I'm sure Matt Hancock will be on the case very quickly on this one. I'm sure he will. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on then. Um, Helena, who's had a bad week for you? Um, so my bad week is the CPCS or more specifically GPs in the CPCS. Um, so Casting our minds back to January, PSNC uh, raised uh, some concerns that general practice teams in some cases were referring patients to pharmacies informally rather than via the service. Um, And that meant bypassing the formal NHS 111 referral route that came into being in November. And that resulted in consultations not being recorded and pharmacies losing out on the £14 fee. Um, So I think as a result of that, PSNC launched a second pharmacy advice audit in response, um, and that uh, would mean that they could determine the scale of the problem. And I think I'm right in saying we're still awaiting the results of that. Um, But last week, Simon Dukes uh, said in a blog post that only a trickle of patients were being referred properly um, and that there were actually only a few dozen practices even signed up to make referrals into the CPCS. Um, He voiced his disappointment at this, and I'm not surprised that he did when you consider that um, there are around 6,500 GP practices in England, as as you mentioned earlier, Richard. Um, It does all make you wonder why they're not using the system properly. Is it that it's a bit complicated, a bit clunky? Um, Is it that they won't do it unless it's a compulsory part of their contract? There's lots of possibilities, and I think all the relevant organisations need to take a step back, look at the whole system, Um, and see where improvements can be made. Um, Simon seemed to put a lot of blame on on NHS England and improvement um, and said that they should make formal referrals mandatory. And I do think that could could make a difference. Um, He also said that the NHS needs to remunerate pharmacists for every walk-in patient requiring a consultation. And while that would be nice, um, I think it's just a whole other kettle of fish um, maybe it all needs to be looked at together. Maybe one battle needs to be won before another ambitious one is started. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see where that all leads to. Yes, it will. Um, really concerning those figures, aren't they? When we, we've talked about this on the pod before, you know, the need to get buy-in from all parts of the, the service to make these new pharmacy services work. I mean, did doctors even know about it, I wonder, like like you suggest, Helena? Rob, what do you make of these uh, these very disappointing figures? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Richard. And I think all the points that Helen has made are also true. I guess it is quite clunky and it's new and it's complicated. But I think um, you've hit the nail on the head in a way. I, I, I suspect that most GPs don't know it exists. And I think that the, the absence of a, of a kind of rollout plan that it involves, particularly for a service that involves other parties, uh, has got to be fairly detailed, hasn't it? And, and quite well thought through. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure it has been yet. You know, the if we think back to the presentations that um, Richard Brown has given on the pilot in uh, in Avon, uh, you think about the amount of effort that was put in to support the rollout of that service even locally. In a way, that's the kind of you've got to replicate that sort of support. 
and engagement across both community pharmacies and general practice if you're going to get, give this a, a fighting chance. But, it, you know, it's early days and maybe things will improve. But I think so. Therefore, it's important that it gets flagged up at this early stage. Now, I have checked the I have checked the, de the details, by the way, and I, I understand that the trickle of the trickle of referrals so far is not are not UTIs. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Um, I mean, in all seriousness, this, you know, this does need to be fixed. And, and you don't want, uh, you know, a repeat with the discharge medicine service either. You know, that was was extensively piloted and piloted and, and a lot of effort went into that. But then if that comes out as a kind of trickle to continue this, this, continue this rather dodgy metaphor, then, you know, that's another major pharmacy service that isn't going to go anywhere. So are people fully have been fully briefed about the discharge medicine service nationally you know what kind of implementation and support programs and packages are in place to make sure that goes well um yeah i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done here and i quite like what simon said and helena mentioned maybe you do need some kind of mandatory referral basis uh, to get this the, the cpcs up and running um concerning concerning let's let's keep an eye on it Neil, let's move over to you. Um, who's had a bad week for you? Oh, it's the GPHC for me, Richard. Uh, the last week it's gone from bad to worse for, for our regulator, unfortunately. Uh, we're, we're all um, aware of what's been going on with the pre-registration exam assessments. And uh, as I said, it's, it's just horrific at the moment. You've had pre-registration and provreges across the UK struggling to book places at Pearson View centres. Uh, some centres that we've heard have been closed. Some have been fully booked. Um, the students have, have uh, leaving students the prospect of travelling hundreds of miles from in, from Scotland into England to, 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 to get to a test centre. They've just struggled to get uh, to book places. Um, we've had overseas students, of course, despite the fact that the, uh, they can now sit the exam remotely. They, they've struggled to book places online, uh, which, which has compounded their misery and, and frustration. Um, the GPHC it has to be said has made has said it's made further progress in re um, resolving these issues with the uh, assessment, including securing we're told additional places in Scotland. So that'll be interesting to see how that pans out in the next few days. But the, the exam is fast approaching, uh, just under two weeks now. It's the kind of stress that, you, that nobody wants uh, when they're when they're preparing for an exam. My own personal view, as I've said before, is that the exam should have been scrapped. I don't think it should be going ahead, uh, or at, at the very at the very least postponed. It shouldn't be going ahead now. It's the wrong time to be holding an exam. I I, I feel. Um, the PDA have stepped in and they've said um, that the this, this March assessment should not count as one of the three attempts uh, that you get to pass the exam. Um, but we shouldn't be in this place. You know, under two weeks before the exam takes place, we just should not be should not be in this place. It's been a horrific week for the GPHC, and um, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Nigel Clark and Duncan Rudkin under a bit of pressure, I think, over this. Uh, yeah, under a lot of pressure. I mean, I, I don't know when you've got. Candidates in Scotland potentially having to travel to Wales to sit their assessments during a pandemic, let's not forget. And uh, the PPSA having to crowdfund travel expenses, you know, something has, has, has gone very badly wrong. Um, yeah, there's no signs that GPHC isn't going to go back on its decision, Neil, to have a, an, an assessment exam, you know, rather than use some kind of work-based assessment. But, you know, I, I, un I understand where you're coming from. That doesn't take into into account, you know, the unique situation that the, the prov regs have, have faced this year. And, and you're absolutely right. They've had a year to sort this out. But they've dug themselves into a hole here. Absolutely, well, they, can't, they can't reverse the, the, the decision now. It's too late. But they've, the, the point is, is that they've, they've, they've dug themselves into such, into such a deep hole. They can't climb out of it. You know, they should have, as you said, it, it's a, it, you know, 
we've had Proveridge's working on the on the front line during the pandemic. There's a, there's a view out there that, that says they've proven their worth. They, the whole point is to you know that practical experience. I mean, what better practical experience can you get than working in through the COVID pandemic? I mean, you know, they, and, and they've proven their worth. And 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 it was weeks earlier, even even months earlier, they, the GPHC should have said, okay, you know what, we'll make a decisive decision. We won't run it in March. Um, it's too it's the wrong time to run it. You guys focus, continue focusing what you've been doing so brilliantly, and that's it. You know, just just make a decision, and they didn't do it, and they dawdled, and now they've and they're in a hole, and this is where we are now. Yeah, so I think you know o- operationally now. I mean, yeah, with those lessons will will need to be learned and discussed and debated in the future. But operationally, at the where we stand at the moment, every effort's got to be made to make sure all the candidates can can sit in mar- in their March assessment, you know, close to where they live and and where they want at a time they want. So you know, Pearson need to get their their act together as well. I. And you're right, Neil. I think the most sensible suggestion I've heard in all of this from the PDA is that this assessment shouldn't count as one of the three attempts. I think that's a, a very good idea. So uh, the Provreg saga continues. Uh, but let's go to you, Rob. Bad week for you? Yeah, I think there's a, there might be a regulatory issue about that third attempt thing, um, three attempts thing. But anyway, uh, yes. So bad week for me. Anybody expecting the Chancellor to come up with uh, something helpful for community pharmacy in the budget? Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, talk. Obviously, we've seen letters written to the Chancellor in advance, hoping that uh, there might even be some vague progress on a couple of things. One, payment back for COVID costs incurred by community pharmacies in England, but also uh, the £370 million advance. Uh, is it a loan? Is it an advance? Is it something else? Uh, nothing on either of those. So, um so, yeah, a bit disappointing. I think predictable uh, but important responses from the pharmacy organisations, exasperating, disappointing, penalised for staying open, uh, says Mark Lionett, um, and Mark Harrison from the CCA saying that closures and cutbacks will re- result in more reductions in services. Interestingly, I've looked at the budget, uh, and it's a bit of a giveaway in some places. So if we look at that, say that £370 million, for instance, what does that actually buy in the budget? Uh, courtesy of uh, the Chancellor. Well, he's going to spend £375 million on a UK-wide future fund breakthrough, which is going to invest in highly innovative companies such as those working in life sciences. So £375 million, uh, that's an interesting number, isn't it? He's going to spend a billion funding for a further 45 towns in England through the Towns Fund. Now, we've talked about this in the past, I think, because this is Robert Jenrick's slush fund where he he basically works with his mates in the um, in the department for local government and uh, e- each of them vote the money to each other's constituencies so there's a billion going through there um and you know that the, in a in a budget which littered littered with bits of money here there and everywhere nothing for community pharmacy and i'm sure we will continue to talk about this on the podcast there is one little item though i draw your attention to because i think it's quite interesting So in section four, which is an investment-led recovery, he says, beginning April 2021, the new super deduction, this is, will cut companies' tax bills by 25p for every pound they invest in new equipment. New equipment. So I think pharmacies should just have a think about whether there's, there's an opportunity there to actually get something out of this chancellor. Um by looking at this super deduction for investment in new equipment 
um, because there are one or two things I think that that could be on the table there for community pharmacy businesses thinking about how they might improve their efficiency. And so I think this new um, this new fund is worth looking at, or this new deduction, I should say, from from uh, tax should be looked at beginning in 2021 and running for two years. Uh, it's expected to be worth around 25 billion to UK companies. Definitely worth a look. And just while we're on the subject of the Chancellor, I, I, I came across something the other day which I found really interesting because I didn't really know about this. You know how Chancellors talk about the household budget and the fact that the country is a bit like a household and uh, we've got to pay it all back and all this and the national debt is accelerating out of all proportion. Um, so I came across an article written by um, Richard Murphy, who's a tax accounting and political economy uh, guy. He's a, he's a chartered accountant and he's written a, wrote a piece on March the 2nd, so budget day, the national, or the day before the budget, the national debt paranoia, it's called. And it is a, it's a fairly, it's a long read. It's not, it's not short by any means, but he basically explains how the national debt works and he explains what it's like to have what he calls the UK's got a fiat currency. It basically explains there is a magic money tree. The government can buy lots of things. Everything that it chooses to purchase is a choice. He explains about debt and income and tax. It's a really interesting thread. I'm going to have to read it two or three times to see whether I completely get it. But it's a, it's an interesting take for me. So when you hear somebody saying, like any household, you know, the government's got to pay the bills um, or it's like a, or the economy is like a credit card. It's not as simple as that. Um, and we're being told to believe one thing and it may not actually be true. So Richard Murphy, taxresearch.org.uk is his website. And the National Debt Paranoia published on March the 2nd is a really good read if you've got 10 minutes. Okay, so some um, light bedtime reading for us all there. I mean, go back to to the budget just just to sum up here. As you said, Rob, um, lots of very kind of angry comments or disappointed comments from the pharmacy bodies. I was was struck by what Phoenix UK Steve Anderson said today. I think we've reported we just accused the government of giving pharmacies in England an, an almighty slap in the face over the the failure to address the, the funding concerns and singled out the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Uh, we remember Mr Johnson said that he felt that those costs, um, COVID costs that, that contractors had incurred should be settled as soon as possible. Obviously, that message hasn't reached the Treasury yet. And in fact, Mr Anderson called it a betrayal. Uh, and when Steve Anderson says something like that, and is angry, then if I were the Treasury, I would be very afraid indeed. So we just have time for a quick any other business from Helena. What have you got for us? Um, so this is for all the people who commented a few weeks ago that they too liked the very neat and ordered calendar for February. Along the same satisfying lines is today's date. So we're recording on the 4th of March and the date when it's written out is 4321. <laughs> I love those, Helen. Please keep those coming. I will. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff. That uh, Well, that just about wraps things up for another week. Uh, thank you to Rob, Neil and Helena. 
All episodes of the pod are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website, of course, and from all your usual download sites. Now, look out for a webcast from P3 Pharmacy on automation in pharmacy in association with Omnicell. That's taking place with the Rob and the team on Wednesday, March the 17th, starting at 7 o'clock. And don't forget, there's still time for pharmacy support staff to get their entries in for the Recognition of Excellence Awards. Details on the Training Matters website. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. Uh, so all pretty disappointing. I mean, interestingly, uh, in a budget which does actually give away quite a lot of money here and there. Um, sorry, could you hear that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wasn't my line out of the door, was it? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, it's Rishi Sunak. He's got some money for us. That's a very dainty bell. <laughs> very dainty bell. I think that's a very important delivery. Actually, it is. It's, it's beer. An extremely important. Delivery. <laughs> Excellent. Why is it going to the pod? The beer has arrived. Brilliant. Good. The beer's arrived. Yeah. That's all we need. <laughs> sorry, where was I? Uh, we could rest easy. That. Pour yourself a pipe rock and carry on. I could see the van through the window and I thought, here we go, we're going to get a bell in a minute.